All right. Luke chapter 2. And I want to begin in verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. To be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. Am I reading the wrong? Oh, I'm in, I need, I'm, I'm, I'm right here. I was in Luke 1 thinking that I was reading Luke 2, but I'm in Luke 2. So uh, just a little pre-senior moment. A little midlife pre-senior, post-adolescent, something like that. All right, verse 6. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled, all those things that were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Now turn to Galatians chapter 4. And we'll mostly remain there for the rest of our time this morning. Galatians chapter 4, I want to begin reading in verse 1. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. And when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. 
and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that as we celebrate Jesus, your birth today, we know, Lord, that it means more to you than it does to us, that you were able to come and make a way for us to know you personally. And we thank you, Jesus, that you have saved us, those of us that know you in this room, Lord, and we want to live lives worthy of the calling with which we've been called. Lord, we pray that you would use the verses that we're going to look at today. Lord, as we marvel of your great grace that's been extended to us by sending your Son, Lord, we want to respond properly to you giving your Son to us as the greatest gift of all. We want to respond appropriately with our lives. We want our lives to represent our thankfulness to you that you sent Jesus to us. We want to live a life that's different from this world. We want to live a life that's pleasing to you. And we pray that you would use these verses to that end. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Today we celebrate the birth of the Savior. Not a Savior, the Savior. There's only one Savior that can save mankind. There's only one name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The name Jesus Christ. Joshua is his Hebrew name. Jesus is the Greek version of that. And it means Jehovah or God is salvation. And we get to enjoy this Savior every single day. Not just on Christmas, not just on Resurrection Sunday. Every day we get to enjoy our Savior, those of us that know him. And so as we celebrate this Savior today, we think about God's great heart that was demonstrated by sending Jesus to come and dive in our place. It wasn't a small sacrifice that the Father made. It wasn't a small sacrifice that the Son made. And it wasn't a small sacrifice that the Holy Spirit made. God sacrificed. Just in, you have to realize, we don't realize how hard it could be for the Savior, for Jesus to come into this world because we don't know what it's like at the place from which he came. The glory that he, he said this in John chapter 17, the glory that I had with you, Jesus speaking to the Father, before the world began. A lot of people think Jesus came on the scene or came into existence in that manger or was placed in that manger on that day when he was born, but he is co-eternal with the Father. He never had a beginning. Jesus never had a beginning. We see him in the Old Testament. We see him uh, you know, t- referenced from eternity past. So Jesus has always existed. The Son has always existed and came and decided to, to condescend to this world And you think about Philippians chapter 2 and it talked about he emptied himself and humbled himself and came to this earth and all of that and the incarnation. Just study the doctrine of the incarnation. Get a a, a theology book and just start reading about the incarnation. That Jesus took on an additional nature. You know, what was going on with his natures? Or or what was the deal with the nature or the ontological aspect of Jesus' incarnation? And that has to do with him retaining his deity. And then when he came into this 
earth, when he came to this earth, when he was born in this world, actually before he was born, when he was in Mary's womb, and he, he took on an additional nature. He took on a human nature. But he didn't take on a sinful human nature like we do. He took on a perfect human nature. So he added to the, his deity. He never stopped being God. And he set aside the prerogatives of being divine by coming to this earth and did not rely on the prerogatives of his deity while he was here to model what it would be like for us and how we can be empowered by the Holy Spirit and we could live a life that was supernatural. And so he calls us to that. Now, looking at when we think about this whole text here of when, you know, that we're you know, talking about the Joseph and all of that, and you know, the, the angel appearing to him and all of these things. We in a dream the angel said to him, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary your wife, for which for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bring forth a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus is a savior. He's a lot of other things too. But in terms of our need, we needed a savior. It's been said our greatest need, if it had, it, if it had been for information, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have given us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. But since our greatest need was forgiveness, God sent us a savior. And that's what he said to Joseph, that he will save his people from their sins. Not just his people, but all of the Gentiles. We've been grafted in. Paul talks about that in the book of Romans. We've been grafted into the vine, so to speak. We've been allowed to be a part of all of those things. That was his point. That was his desire from the beginning, obviously. But the way he practically worked it out is that he came to the Jews first. Paul, when he went and shared the gospel, as was his custom, following the, the custom of Stephen who did it, he would go into a a synagogue and preach the gospel to the Jew first. Then he would leave there and expand to the Gentiles. But our greatest need is, is that we have a Savior. And the world looks at Jesus and wonders why he was sent. And you know why? Because they don't understand their need for a Savior. It doesn't make any sense to them. And they don't realize how precarious their position is. When you're drowning and someone throws you a life preserver... You're not confused about what the purpose of the life preserver is. You're not going, wow, that's weird. Hmm, I wonder why that came and landed next to me. Because you know you're drowning. So you know that that life preserver, the purpose of it, because you know your need. But the world doesn't know their need. They know they're sinners. The Holy Spirit's ministry, in part, is to testify to the world that they're sinners. They just don't understand their need for a Savior. They don't connect the dots. I'm a sinner. That must mean that I'm going to be judged and I'm, I, I can't save myself, and so I need a Savior. That's where we come in with the gospel. We say, you acknowledge you're a sinner, right? 99% of the people will say yes. We don't have to convince people they're sinners. The Holy Spirit, that's his ministry. But we tell them they're a sinner, we're, we're basically validating or affirming what they already know by the Holy Spirit and their conscience that God's given them. And so then we tell them the good news we tell them that they, they can be saved, they can go to heaven, they can have purpose and all these things that God has intended and God's plan for their lives. They are in need of a Savior, they're drowning, they're spiritually 
drowning. And if they don't receive that life preserver, so to speak, which is presented to them, that when they take their last breath, they will sink into Hades and eventually the lake of fire that we're told in Revelation. And the saddest day, I believe, that I can imagine that God the Father would have and Jesus would ever have is on that day, the great white throne judgment. And we went through Revelation. I wept when we went through that passage because I was, couldn't help but thinking about how God, God was, what he's going to experience on that day of, of taking the people that he loves who are, whose names are not written in the Lamb's Book of Life and casting them in the lake of fire. He won't have any choice. And he, he won't enjoy it. It won't be something that he says, oh, I finally won. No, there won't be any of that. It'll be heartbreaking for him to have to be forced to do that. So he has this great heart, the heart behind the giving of his son. That's what we're really focused on at Christmas. When we think about God's love that's extended to us so amazingly in giving his son to us. And it's a mistake to believe that the message of Christmas ends at the stable. That baby was born to die. That baby wasn't born to live a great life and have prosperity and have all these great things. All the things he was due, for sure. But he was born to die. He died to save. And once he saves, his intent for the saved is to not just get inside the boat after a life preserver has been extended to them and forget about those that are still drowning, but his intent is for us to have that same heart and know what that felt like to be in that water, to be knowing that my last breath is coming and I'm about to go under and someone extended a life preserver to me and I'm so thankful for that. I can't forget about it. I think about it every day and God can save you if you just humble yourself and reach out and grab that life preserver. That's what he wants for all of us. That's God's heart. And our passage today here in Galatians helps us to see that heart. Look at verse 1 in Galatians chapter 4. He says, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at it from a slave, though he is a master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. So what Paul here is speaking to the churches in the region of Galatia, What he's saying to them is he's speaking about the role of the law of Moses in our lives before we came to Christ. Back in chapter 3, verses 24 and 25, Paul wrote, Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. So that in that, those verses there, and, our, and, and also specifically in our verses in chapter 4, Paul is building on that theme. See, in the, in the Roman culture that he's speaking into, slaves would be like nannies for the children. And you also had slaves that would be the house stewards or butlers or managers of the house, and they would manage the house on your behalf, and you would trust them to influence your household in a positive way. They would be great benefits to your household and in that time both the children and other slave uh, would be cared for by the same nannies and they would would be under the same house rules that would be administered by the house stewards and so what Paul is doing here is he's comparing the law of Moses to those nannies or those people in those households that would care for the children and care for the, the, those households. It was the tutor for the Jews. The law of Moses was the tutor 
or the nanny, so to speak, for the Jews, and indirectly for us too through our consciences because we weren't born under the law um, as Gentiles. Um, but that the law was there to supervise us and indirectly in our consciences kind of and, and guide us along until we came to uh, of age spiritually by receiving Christ. And so what Paul's saying here is the law was used to supervise you or guide you or chaperone you along the way in in your pre-Christian experience to bring you to that place and escort you to that place to where you saw your need for a savior. You saw that you're a sinner and that you can't save yourself and the only one that fulfilled the law was Jesus and the only one that could save us from our sins and paid that price is Jesus and so I need to accept him and grab onto that life preserver that he extends to us. And so the issue there in Galatians is that the Galatians were tempted to go back under the law. And they were attracted to that. They were getting persecuted. They were getting uh, hurt as a result of being believers. And so what God was doing was he was basically warning them through Paul and saying, you don't want to go back under the chaperone or the tutor of the law because that was supposed to bring you to Christ. But now you're at Christ. You don't need that anymore. Now you've come of age. It would be inappropriate for an adult that's 25, 30 years old to now be under the supervision of a nanny again or you know, this, uh, the supervision of people in the household that are supposed to guide you as a, as a minor. But when you're an adult, it wouldn't be appropriate. And he's saying it's not appropriate for you to go back under the law to try to add to your salvation and be you know, completed by your works, even if it's religious works. He's saying that you, you being, you know, who has bewitched you? You know, if you began in the spirit, how are you going to be made perfect in the flesh? Your human effort cannot complete your salvation. Your human effort can't make you more holy. Your human effort can't add to what you already have in Christ. Additionally, Paul says in verse 24 that justification, which means being acquitted, okay, Justification occurs by faith, not the law. The law can't, um, can't do that. And verse 25 tells us that once faith has come, we're no longer under the supervision of the tutor or the nanny, as I said. Now he continues in verse 3, says, Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. See, that's interesting because somehow we can forget of just how much bondage is involved in the ways of living apart from Christ and the ways of this world. They tell us that Christianity is a crutch, but yet they're taking every substance and medicating with drugs and relationships and money and power and all these things. That, and you know, and I, I heard Greg Laurie say one time to Larry King, he said, Christianity isn't a crutch, it's, it's an entire hospital. You know, and Larry King was like, "Whoa, that's really good, Pastor Greg." You know, and, you know, and sounded didn't sound quite like that, but you know, um, it was just like, think about what you're hearing, Larry. You know, think about what you're hearing. This is this is you're Jewish. You should be listening to this man talk about that your Messiah has come. You don't have to wait for the Messiah anymore. He's already come. And so we're we're not under that supervision any more and and this world is the elements of this world is bondage and God wants us free sin leads to bondage sin leads to bondage and it's harmful it's not bad because it's forbidden it's forbidden because it's bad 
And, and God wants to spare us from all of that. And if we would just humble ourselves and do what he says to do, then our lives will end up being the, showing the abundant life that he has intended for us to, to live. He has abundant life for us. But we have to be honest with ourselves that we can't produce that abundant life in ourselves, in our wisdom, in our ways of doing things, apart from the way he says in his word to do things. He knows he knows what he's talking about. Think about with our kids. If you have kids or grandkids and you know when they're younger and they just cannot understand why you're telling them to do certain things. They can't see the wisdom on it, of it. And you know later on as adults are going to go, oh man, I, am, I can't believe that I was even arguing with you with that. That was ridiculous. I remember when I was 25 going back to my guardians that had raised me my last year of high school. And I just, I, I just realized how, what an idiot I was back then. And I, I just was thinking about how much they sacrificed and how they put up with me and all my verbal skills that they said I had and uh, my excuses that I called reasons. Uh, and, and I just apologized and just said, you were so right. You were so right. I, was, I can't believe that, you know, I did and said those things. You're like, man, <laughs> I thought you'd be coming here sooner than now. You know, <laughs> why, why didn't that happen a few years ago? You know, I mean, they didn't really say that. But it's like they could have said that because I needed to understand that. But children don't understand what's best till later. And they have to just trust the parent. And they have to do what the parent says. And then later on they see. That's how it is with us. When we do things God's way, no matter how uncomfortable it is, no matter how hard it is and difficult it is, and how much we think we're suffering and all of these things, we don't understand, just like children don't understand at the time. But later on, we see the wisdom of it. And I've walked with the Lord now almost 30 years, and I'm telling you, I've never seen his word be the wrong decision. Ever. Ever. Not one time, not even close. That's why it's so important that we base our lives upon this book and really devour it and really obey it. And it, it's going to be increasingly mocked. And it'd be increasingly, what, you follow that book? It's so arcane and so ancient and so out of date and so irrelevant. All these things. I'm like, well, how does your life look? You know, it's like, what do you look? You're going to TED Talks. You're watching TED Talks on, on, on video. And I'm not saying they're horrible or whatever. But, I mean, that's the equivalent of church for a lot of unbelievers. That's where they get their wisdom. And the, world, the ways of this world are passing away. They're futile. And, and God wants to save us from, from that. But notice here he says in verse 4 the, the good news. He says, but when the fullness of time had come, that's what we're talking about today, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that he, we might receive the adoption as sons. Now I want to focus on that little phrase, the fullness of time had come. You, when you study this, you see how the perfect timing was there for Jesus to come. We're talking the Greek language that was so expressive and precise was the common language, had been the common language for a while now by, by this time. You have the Roman roads that were there to provide all these great travel paths for missionaries and the Apostle Paul to bring the gospel. We're talking uh, the God hadn't officially spoken for 400 years in between the Old and New Testament. People were ready to hear. They were repenting. John the Baptist was on the scene, uh, leading people and repenting and preparing their hearts for the Savior. It was the perfect time and the fullness of time had come. And I want you to know that 
almost double, there's almost double prophecies for a second coming. There's so many prophecies related to a second coming. And every one of his prophecies for the first coming came exactly true, literally. Came exactly true, literally. He is coming back. It's going to happen. And, And we need to be ready for that at any moment. And he says he sent forth his son. Twice he emphasized, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. It's his son. He sacrificed his son. He gave something that he loved. Born of a woman under the law. So he was under that same tutor that Paul has been talking about. He was under that same tutor. There was the law of Moses. He didn't, he didn't break it. Didn't break the law once. He fulfilled it completely. Imagine being one of his siblings. He had multiple siblings. Imagine having that. I mean, you think that you had a sibling that didn't get in trouble as much or, you know, I mean, think about having God as a sibling, you know, it's like, how come so, how come you're not like so-and-so? Give me a break, you know, it's like he's God, Um, you know, but I mean, just think about Jesus never was disrespectful to his parents. Jesus obeyed his parents 100% of the time. Jesus always did the right thing, had the right motive. He always did the things that he was supposed to do. He was always loving. He's always patient. Talk about the fruit of the Spirit coming out 100% every time. He, he was always appropriate towards people. He had, was a hard worker. He was, I mean, everything you can think of that would be honorable, he was that from his earliest time. And it, what a beautiful testimony. He said when he was an adult, which of you convicts me of sin? They couldn't say anything. Those Pharisees could not mention one legitimate thing. And there was silence then, there's silence today. No one can legitimately say Jesus sinned in any way whatsoever. So he sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, verse 5, to redeem those who were under the law that, he might, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Think about that. He purchased a slave and then adopted that slave. That was us. He purchased us out of slavery, the slavery to sin, that bondage that we experienced, He purchased us out of that, then adopted us, and we're part of his family. Beautiful, unbelievably amazing that he would do that, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Verse 6 says, and because you are sons, I want to stop there for a second. We're sons and daughters if we know Christ. That's his designation for us in verse 6. He said it. We're not saying it. He said it. Does he say that we're sons and daughters when we feel like it? Does he say we're sons and daughters when we think that we are? It's not conditional here. Does does he say we're sons and daughters only when we're doing well spiritually? We're sons and daughters because we're sons and daughters. If you adopt a child, they could have their worst day in the world and they're still your child. They're still adopted. It doesn't change the status. We can't let what we feel and what we think about ourselves and how much we're failing or doing well affect the fact that we are sons and daughters because we're not, we don't do things and behave a certain way to become sons and daughters or stay sons and daughters. That's what the Galatians were struggling with because they were trying to maintain their salvation by their works and add to the cross, basically add to salvation. And we're, we are who we are regardless of how well or we're, we're bad we're doing because we're, we do well or don't do well 
every day and, and we have to be dependent upon the Lord. But his, his, his identity that he's given us is not um, conditional. It's unconditional. So we, because we are sons and daughters, that needs to affect how we live. It needs to affect what we do, what we don't do, how we say things, how we treat people, how we respond to his word, and so forth. He says, and because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. The spirit of his son. This is one of the few places where the Holy Spirit's referred to as the spirit of Jesus. just want you to know that. The spirit of Jesus. He's given us the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. It's funny when you go to Israel and you hear these little kids running after their dads, Abba, 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 Abba. And you're like, Tony? No. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I love that, that he says that like as often as he does. It's beautiful. But it's, it's just to hear him say, Abba, 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 Abba. They're running after their, their parents and all of that. And that's, what we, that's the intimacy. That's the love that we have for God is just to call him daddy. It's not irreverent. To call him daddy. That's what this is talking about. And Paul concludes by saying, therefore you are no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. So this is, this is like a logical argument that he's saying. You were slaves, but you became a son through adoption. And it's log- it logically follows that if you're a son or a daughter, it logically follows that you're an heir of God through Christ. You ever wonder, how come I didn't receive this great inheritance that I hear all these people receiving? You know, these, these, someone left somebody, you know, a million dollars or three million dollars or a thousand, a hundred thousand dollars or whatever. And you're like, how come I never, you know, how come that didn't happen to me? Or, you know, we can be so blessed by the fact that we've received an inheritance and it's already ours now. I mean, you read Ephesians chapter one, unbelievable inheritance that we've received and our riches in Christ far greater than any monetary amount that's going to fade away that's going to pass away it's unbelievable uh, what he's blessed us with but we are heirs of God we are heirs we are wealthy and he wants us to be good stewards of all those things I want you to turn over real quick to Romans chapter 8 He's blessed us with so much already, but it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's just beginning, just starting. Romans chapter 8. I want to begin reading in verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but deliver him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Unbelievable. What is he going to hold back from us? Nothing. Notice the, the, the preposition with there. He uh, shall not he uh, shall not he not with him, that is Jesus, when we see Jesus, whether it's the rapture. I mean, I believe when we die, we're before the rapture happens, if we die, it'll basically be the rapture. Like, we're going to just, like, poof, jump ahead, however long that is, and we'll be there. So I, I could be wrong. Um, I'm probably not. But I'm just kidding. Um, but 
there's no time. We're outside of time. Once we die, we're outside of time. And so I believe the next event will be the rapture regardless. Um, but notice, though, he says, He who did not spare his own son but delivered, us up for, for, delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? It's just exactly what you could dream of and go, that would be the ultimate. If when I see Jesus, I'm given everything. Everything that's appropriate for me to have, I'm given those things. And he's going to do that. Because we're heirs. Because we're sons and daughters. Because he purchased us out of slavery. Because he died for us. Because he was born. Because of his heart for us, he came. He goes all the way back to that. It's beautiful. We have to make that connection that we are heirs because he came. And he came to die. And because we've received that, now he um, wants that inheritance, to the, the, the reality of it, to, to work in our lives and our, lives and our hearts so where it changes us. We, he wants us to be increasingly godly, increasingly spiritual, increasingly mature, and he want, doesn't want those things to stop. And how does that happen? It happens by following him and, and obeying what he says to do. Because obeying what he says to do leads us to the next thing of, of, of stretching us and growth and maturity and all of that. And so many of these things that cause us growth, we would never, we want the growth, we just don't want the way to grow. Just like children. They, don't, they want to be adults, but they don't want the things that are required to become responsible adults. They don't want to deal with that hardship. It's the same way with spiritual children. He puts these things in front of us that are difficult, and it want, he wants to use those things to make us more dependent upon him and more mature, and he'll do it every single time. You know, we're coming into a, a new year, and I know we have one more Sunday of this year, but we're, we're getting ready to start a new year, and I don't know what God has in store this coming year. I know he's going to continue to save people because that nothing's going to stop that. I know his church is going forward because he's building it, and if he's building it, no, the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I know he's going to continue to save people, deliver people. He's going to continue to... to oversee things it's all leading toward an end I don't know if we're going to be at war with North Korea this coming year in 2018 I don't know I know just we need to be ready we need to be thinking about eternity we need to be thinking about eternal things and it all it it gets affected by how we see our our relationship with him do we see our relationship with him how he sees it or do we see our relationship with him based on how we see it that's the importance of this book. We have to define our relationship with him by how he says it is. And we have to believe about ourselves, what we believe about ourselves based on what he says about us instead of what we think about us or what other people say or think about us. It has to, we have to get our identity in his word, not our identity by ourself, from ourselves or other people or our performance or lack of performance. And, and so, I don't know. I just know that usually at the end of the year, because he knows in our, kind of our rhythm of our lives, we're thinking about things when we're coming to the end of a year and we're getting ready to start another year. 
And he wants us to be circumspectly thinking about our lives and where we're at. And 2018 can be the best year that we've had in many ways. It could be the best year. We can, we can grow exponentially. We can put all these failures or even successes. You know, we can allow successes to hinder our growth going forward because we're thinking that we're content with that and that's all God may want to do. And he's like, no, you have no idea how much success I want to give you. You have no idea how much I want to use you, how much I want to bless you. You've had these victories, wonderful. Let's build upon those things and let's go even further than what you could ever ask or think. That's our God. But we have to be ready and poised to do that and be willing to to do whatever he's called us to do. And one of the biggest things we have to grapple with every day is our flesh. It's like, I can't wait to get my new body because I know I won't have a sinful nature in it. And I'm sure you're thankful that I won't have a sinful nature either. Um, But we have to deal with that every day. And the answer to that is dying to self. The answer to that is taking up our cross daily. Jesus said, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. So that's, that's dying a death every day and dying a death throughout each day. Recognizing that my sinful nature wants to go differently than what God, God's word lays out and what, how he wants me to live. And none of us, myself included, it's, 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 not, it's not easy for us. But we have to say, God, you know me. You know I'm a sinner. You know I fall short. But you love me regardless. You knew about all of my shortcomings and my sin. You know about the sins I haven't even committed yet. You still paid for them on the cross. You still saved me. And and have a revelation of his grace and his love that's greater than our view of ourselves and how we limit what he can do through our lives. 2018 could be the best year that we've had up to this point. And that's the thing he wants us to focus on. Let's, let's have each day be what he wants, us, uh, wants it to be in our lives as we yield to him. And then the other thing about being an heir, before I close, is just thinking about the stewardship of that. Is, is knowing that I've, he's going to give me all things, that I've already received a massive inheritance. How am I going to live my life related to sh- being willing to share what I've experienced with others? We can't hoard what we've experienced on ourselves and keep it to ourselves. We can't refuse to get on the deck after we've had a a life preserver extended to us and we've been saved. We can't get on the deck while all these people are in the water and go inside the the comfort area of the ship and the safety and all the, the warmth and everything and just forget that there are people that are dying out there in the water. Because dying a physical death is infinitely less severe than dying a spiritual death and eternally suffering as a result. So he wants us to be about the Great Commission. Always. So we have to be, if we don't know how to share the gospel, we need to learn how to share the gospel. And, and if we know how to share the gospel, we need to be willing to do it at any time that he prompts us and be available at any time. Because we can just get so distracted by the temporal things, myself included. And we, cannot, we can just leave aside and forget about the eternal things that Jesus cares about. And the people that he loves and wants to save. And he, he's chosen to use us. You know, he could put in the sky a track. You know, God so loved the world that you know, he could put it, lay it all out. He could do it easily. But he hasn't chosen to do that. He's chosen to use us. It's a great responsibility, but it is a responsibility. We have to take it seriously and be willing to be, be equipped in going out. And I know there's going to be opportunities for us as a family to go out and do that, just like there was this year. 
There's going to be more opportunities for that. And we have to be ready to, to be a part of those things and be a, a partner in those things together. And we're going to have people this time next year that are here among us that receive Christ. They're, they're, they're reading the New Testament for the first time. They're, they're, they're new to all of this. They, they don't know anything about what it means to walk with Christ very much. And we're encouraging them and helping them grow and seeing their lives change. That, that's a reality. But we have to be willing to do our part. And so what, one of the most important things for us to think about related to him coming to this earth is that we're heirs because we're sons, because we, he redeemed us as sinners, and also the fact that he wants us to be salt and light in this world and wants to preach the gospel. Again, he didn't save us just to make, have, have us have a great, comfortable life. That's not why he saved us. And sometimes we just need a reality check, myself included, he didn't just save you for you to have a nice life. He saved you to be a vessel through whom he can communicate the gospel to lost people and use you to save people and have them their lives changed eternally. That's why he matures us in a church like this so that we can go outside and preach the gospel and bring them in to be discipled. And if we're not part of that cycle, we're not functioning in the, in the way that God has set things up for us. And that's, that's not why he saved us, just to ignore that whole thing. He saved us to be a part of it. So we need to be contemplative related to that and take those things to prayer. And I know that you'll respond appropriately. And so what a blessing it is to be able to go over these things this morning. Let's pray together.